welcome to Mixed Feelings, a podcast about news, politics, and pop culture on the Relay FM network. I'm Quinn Rose, and I'm here as always with my co-host, Jillian Parker. Hey, everyone. Hey, Quinn. Hello, Jillian. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Um, I apologize in advance for my voice. I'm just getting over a cold, so it sounds much better today than it did at the beginning of the week when I had no voice. But um, yeah, my immune system has betrayed me because I have never been, like, sick. Well, okay, that's a lie. I've been sick, but not usually like this. I'm sorry you're sick, but I am glad that you're feeling a little better now. And your voice sounds fine. You're okay. Ah, phew. Okay, cool. I'm trying really hard. (laughs) Jillian was talking about how she was sick earlier, and I just found it very funny because I'm sick constantly. (laughs) And I was like, how does it feel? (laughs) Yeah, taste of Quinn's own medicine or lack thereof. Um, no, yeah, I wouldn't wish my illness on anyone. So <laughs> my my state of illness. Um, so I'm glad you're feeling better. Yeah, thank you. How are you, Quinn? I'm good. I'm in New York City right now, uh, doing the things, teaching the children. That's that sounds weird. Like that's literally what I'm doing. Um, um, but also spending a lot of time just like wandering around New York, eating a lot of bagels. So that's always a good time. Woo, bagels. Although the MTA is having a meltdown, like, oh my god. Yesterday, I decided to visit both people I know in New York City in the same day, and this I picked the day that, like, all of the trains stopped working, and it was bad. Yeah, that's public transportation in New York. It's just funny, because it's like, there was a delay in November, too, but, like, it, they blamed it on weather, but it wasn't even snowing or anything it wasn't even raining and they blamed it on the wet leaves got stuck on the tracks (laughs) i was just like okay there's just there's some kind of rail issue can you hear my quotation marks i don't know but like it delayed one train really severely but then that affects half the system because then they have to put trains on different tracks and how do you put trains on different tracks i don't know Mm -hmm. but anyway um yeah it's not great the public transportation system in new york is simultaneously really good in the fact that they have like 24-hour trains and they pretty much go everywhere and also really bad in the fact that it's not functional half the time. Yeah it's one of those things where like when it works it's really great but when it doesn't like it makes everything worse because then no one knows where to go or how to get around. I am also like that. (laughs) (laughs) Most of the human beings that I know are including myself so it's fine. So speaking of uh New York and everything that is included inside of it, including millions of young professionals. Um, The first story we have today is this. I want to paint you all a word picture, which is me uh, last night looking at the New York Times website saying, all right, what other stories do I want to take out a look at for this week? What am I seeing? And I scroll down and then there's it's one of those sections where there's no picture attached, there's no blurb attached, it's just a headline at this point. And the headline says, Come on over to my place, sister girlfriend, and we'll co-work. First of all, I had to read that about five times for it to make sense, and I still don't understand it. I think, I'm assuming the sister girlfriend thing is a reference to something. It sounds familiar, but I can't figure out exactly to what. Um, but that's where I'm at. So I was like, all right, I will click on your article. And it was actually very interesting. So, uh, this is our first topic. It's a startup co-working thing called Quilt. Yeah. So one of the new trends that millennials, um, 
are experiencing is this thing called co-working, which is basically, for those who don't know, basically you, instead of buying an office building for your, or renting space um, in a really big building for your office, because that can get really expensive, especially in New York, they have these companies like places like Quilt or WeWork, where they essentially rent out the building for you. And then you kind of just go to this building and you work with other people who might be from different companies or from different projects. Um, and you all work together in this room. So it's pretty much like a like when you do work at a Starbucks, I guess, but without the Starbucks. Well, there are two kickers to Quilt in particular, because um, one, uh, it's the same concept, but it doesn't take place in an office uh, the way bigger companies do it takes place in people's homes um almost an airbnb style thing but for offices and it's done at a daily rate uh so you just it's twenty dollars a day so you pay twenty dollars you can go over to this person's house for four hours and work there and there's like a group of people who do this together when it's the times are scheduled uh, you don't just show up and you're like 20 bucks let me in your house for four <laughs> hours uh, and then it is also all women there are no men allowed mm-hmm yep so talk like the, the definition of girl power. There is a lot of stuff to talk about there. But first, perhaps the less extensive part of this, which is the in-home concept. What do you think about this? Like going to someone else's house to work? Um, to be honest, I think it's really creepy. <laughs> um, I mean... Have you ever stayed in an Airbnb? Yes, I have. And I still think it's really creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I still do it. But um, no, yeah, like I think it's a cool concept and it seems to be working for a lot of people like we're we'll link the article but um it's this really great experience to be able to work with all these other great intelligent women and you're in like this nice space and it's probably warm and cozier than your typical starbucks i don't know why i keep using starbucks as an example um but i don't know how i would feel about just like going over to someone's house even though like i know in advance that i'm going over there it just i don't know what, what do you think quinn I'm not sure. Just this concept of stuff. I think I'm kind of into it because it's the concept is that it's a place to work, but it's also it's supposed to be this productive environment of other working people. But then it's also a chance to meet other young professionals and, you know, kind of network and know people and all that stuff, which actually like seems a pretty effective way to do that because you're deliberately putting yourself into an, that environment instead of going to a co-working office where there isn't there there perhaps aren't those explicit definitions of like okay like let's all talk about the projects we're working on and then work on them um whereas I think the general co-working space is more like everyone does their own thing and you can meet people in network and all that but it's uh, less of the explicit purpose so I can see how this can be beneficial to a lot of people Although I just, the other thing is a lot of the pictures are like a lot of women sitting in couches around living rooms. And I'm like, I can't work like that. Like, I need a table. Yeah. Like, if I, what if I like showed up to someone's house and they were like, okay, like, here we are. And they show me like a living room, which is great. And it's probably beautiful. But like, there's no like desk or anything. I'd just be like, well, I would like to leave now. The part of the concept that really just gets me is that I'm just, like, super paranoid and I, like, think everyone is trying to kill me. So. <laughs> that seems like a problem for you. Yeah, this is totally a me problem. Um, so, yeah, that's why I'm not really down with this whole idea. 
I mean, besides the the paranoid aspect of I think everyone's trying to kill me, it seems okay. Because that's the thing is, like, I feel like we had this um, wave of stranger danger in our culture, and then it kind of shifted away to this um, cooperative internet culture instead. And I mean, hella capitalism. Cause it, but it, things like Uber and Airbnb is instead of um, only trusting institutions like hotels and taxis and stuff we've shifted to trusting other people through institutions um and i mean we're still like paying them to do things for us and that's a whole big conversation especially about uber but um i do think this is the like i don't i don't know if this is just a trend or if it's a permanent shift in the way that our economy and our lives are structured but i think it's interesting this is just one more industry in which um, someone is doing this concept of like coming into people's homes instead of an office. Yeah, and this might be a little tangential, um, but it's also happening in like finance too. There's these things called like peer-to-peer lending, where basically it, it's kind of like a GoFundMe, except you like say you're going to pay them back. Um, and so people like go on these websites and they ask for a certain kind of loan, and then like other regular people just like lend them money. Um, and it's supposed to be like an alternative to a bank or, a, you know, another big institution, because sometimes people don't have like the credit scores they need in order to, say, borrow money from like a Morgan Stanley, right? So um, it's it's just crazy how like the internet and how we are viewing others as just more hum- humane, I guess. Does that even make sense? Um, we're just putting faces behind or face. we're assigning faces to the tasks that we used to do just completely, you know, anonymously and just have, um, you know, these tasks dedicated to big banks and just like, okay, well, here, I need money. Um, and so this definitely, in addition to like places like Quilt and we work make the whole um, corporate structure or capitalist environment a lot more homey and accessible. Yeah, it's so interesting. And there's also, there's another thing like that called Kiva.org. Um and it's the same kind of thing like ordinary people giving other people's loans, but it's it's focused more um but it's focused more internationally and it's often um uh like people in less developed countries who are like starting businesses and stuff and need money to get off the ground but can't like don't have the institutions to get those loans. Um and then ordinary people um sending them money and then they pay them back later. And it seems like very similar concepts. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like there's something very fascinating here about this, uh, I guess, just having more trust in a society, as you said. And I think uh, perhaps, you know, maybe a lot of that is motivated by, oh, this is a way to make some extra money, like an Airbnb. Like, if you have an extra room in your house or your apartment or whatever, like, okay, cool, you can um, make some extra money with that space. But that also requires a lot of, like, I trust this person isn't going to wreck my house or murder me in my sleep, as you're worried about, um, and and these kinds of things. And so there, there does have to be that element of that. Um, I wonder, I mean, I don't think anyone is measuring this, but it would be interesting to measure, like, do people who participate in things like Airbnb and Uber um, and this new quilt, and like, have different levels of trust in other people in society than people who don't? Oh, I definitely think that there would be a very strong correlation between the people who um, use like these sharing sort of networks versus those who don't based on 
their tastes and preferences for privacy. It would also, I don't know. I really don't know if there's a way to measure this. Um, You'd have to do some kind of controlled test, but it would be interesting to see, is it just that people who trust more do these services or did doing these services help you trust other people more? It could be both. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a causality problem that would not be so simple to find out. Yeah, of course. And I don't, I don't have the means to uh, put up this controlled experiment, but I just think it's interesting thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. But coming back to the other element of this for a second is the concept that this is all women. And I mean, I talk about this in the article and and it totally makes sense why this concept was created because, um, I mean, as has been a large part of the national conversation for the past few months, a lot of workspaces can be unsafe for women. Um, And or even just like have weird pressures and like um, put uh, different weights on people for like dressing a certain way and acting a certain way and not having women feel comfortable. And so devoting the space instead to just like meeting other people who are who are assumed to be like minded uh, to you or who don't place those pressures on you is supposed to be a very positive work environment. So that's the concept behind it. So like, what do you what do you think of this? Do you think that it achieves that? Do you think that that's necessary? I think it's a really great thing to have, um, like to have as an option. I don't, I think the problem is that it's, to me, like it seems that it is sort of a short-term solution. Um, As Quinn said, there are so many problems in um, corporate America and in the workspace environment and a lot of sexual harassment, but I just don't think that Yes, taking that those aspects out and creating this other safe space for where women can work and be productive is a really great idea on paper, but I don't know if it's going to affect the kind of change that we really need um, to happen. Yeah, that's one thing that I've been thinking about is true, like it, it, this separation, like this pulling back, um, which on one hand, like no one should feel responsible for shouldering that burden if they are like having a hard time in a male dominated workspace and they want to move away and like mm-hmm. ensure their safety and their health, then like no one is responsible for like, no, you must stay where you don't feel safe and comfortable in order like for all women. Hey, I don't do what do what you got to do. But um, I think you're right that like there is this it does feel weird that like oh are we just going to segregate our workspaces by gender eventually is that the solution um i don't think that's the solution but <laughs> yeah and a lot of companies too um within the corporate structure there are these special interest groups where um like for women like uh, um band up together and they try to you know affect the kind of change and what they want to see in the workforce and stuff um but i don't remember the name of the company off the top of my head. I think it might be Deloitte. Um, but they got rid of the special interest group saying that, yes, they're great in theory, but it wasn't affecting the kind of change they needed because um, with the whole idea of the, the concept of the gender gap and women being promoted less than men, um, the problem was the men who were in charge and the men doing the hiring. And so they were not in these special interest groups because it was like women only. So in order to basically, in order to fix the problem, you need to include the people, um, you need to include everyone in the workforce. Like it has to be some sort of group effort. Yeah, of course. And to be fair, I don't think that quilts express purpose is to be like solving this problem. It's more to have an alternative space. Cause they even say in the article that like some women 
choose this is their only co-working space and some women like have this as a thing on top of other spaces that they work in or maybe other offices that they work in so like I, I don't think that quilt is claiming that they're trying to solve this problem in any way but it is it's interesting to look at the more big picture thing but an, another part of this is <laughs> this just annoys me there's this one there's two parts of the article that made me go what <laughs> um and the first is there's a line where they say that um the the hosts um, will warn the women coming over if there's any kind of men who live in the house, but uh, husbands and boyfriends will often hide when the quilters come over. And I was like, they do what? Um, Wait, what? Yeah, so it's supposed to be this women-only space, so the men, like, leave. <laughs> Even if they live there, they're like, peace. Okay. I don't know how I feel about that, but okay. I'm not totally sure how I feel about that, because on one hand, I'm like, I mean, that makes sense. If it's going to be a women-only space, then it should be a women-only space. Like, that's the thing. Um, but it was just the way it was phrased. Like, they will hide. And I was like, okay, <laughs> if you say so. But then there's this other part in the article, like, two paragraphs later, where she's like, we're not one of those angry feminist spaces. And I have so many problems with this statement because I just – that told me a lot about what this company is doing because I feel like they're trying to be – a couple different things at once um and they're trying to be like this positive space for women like no boys allowed club and <laughs> i mean okay that was a simplification but you know it is what it is um and this whole like we're networking or lifting each other up but at the same time we're like oh but we're not those angry feminists though like we're the nice women we don't hate men uh we're not gonna come after you we're just trying to be great over here and then we will continue to um, love you and be part of everything. And I'm like, well, I think that maybe you're being a little noncommittal about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think they're, they are genuinely trying to make the effort because I feel like a lot of, um, the problem with the angry feminist stereotype and Quinn and I have talked about this countless of times and how it's just awful. And Quinn can rant about this for hours. Um, as, as she deserves to because this is just a huge problem that's just sort of ingrained in our society um and so i think what quilt is trying to do is trying to ease that but like by sort of saying that they're trying to erase that that like reinforces the imagery more so like that's not very conducive to what they claim they're attempting to do Mm -hmm. and like i'm looking at their instagram right now and they have a quote from november that they posted that says Feminism isn't about making women strong. Women are already strong. It's about changing the way that the world perceives that strength. And I'm like, that's a good quote. Cool. But then that's a bit contradictory to what you already said about like, oh, you're not a feminist space. But what that makes me believe, of course, is by saying that they're not like an angry feminist retro vibe or whatever they said, is them saying like, oh, we're feminist but we're like the nice feminists. We're not like those mean, angry, gender theorist feminists, which is, as a sociologist, um, this has been a big problem in a lot of ways is that this sort of, the way that people have taken the word feminism and tried to make it softer, more palatable. And I understand that. And I understand like, especially when you're trying to reach more people who are perhaps um, not open to the word feminism because of the way that it has been dragged through the mud through the years. But at the same time, then you're just pushing away like everyone else and you're saying like, oh, they're the bad feminists and we're the good feminists. And like, that's not productive to anything. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like that whole concept by like sometimes the best way to make friends is like by bonding over a common enemy and like teaming up with people who also hate other people. If if that makes sense, you know, pretty much the foundation of like racism and war and whatever. Um, so them trying to like separate themselves from these so-called in quotes like angry feminists is just exacerbating the problem, and this whole isolation thing is just going to be an endless cycle if we don't try to sort of bridge the gap but in more of an inclusive way mm-hmm. and my third major issue slash question about this um is this entire concept of like we are a women only space but they do not elaborate on what that means and um and so like does that mean you include transgender women does that mean you include non-binary people or are you only including cisgender women and the fact that they do not and I, maybe i missed something on their website but um as i was reading their faq and the information and stuff and i did not see that so the fact that they are not trying to be inclusive in any way to like um other like perhaps um more than just cisgender women or like other genders that uh typically have a difficult time in traditional male-dominated workplaces that one is just like creates a less inclusive environment but also creates this very and this is kind of the the issue I'm seeing with a, a lot of like the pictures and their messaging and all this stuff that like this is a space for like rich probably well that this is a space for like more well-off um it seems to be mostly white and asian people from the pictures they're cisgender they're um they have a lot of advantages already and they've come together to have this like cool co-working space and and yes absolutely like cisgender women do face a lot of issues in traditional workforces and i'm not saying that like this isn't a good thing for them but it also doesn't seem like they're making the the proper effort to be properly inclusive in the way that their initial branding would suggest to you Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I can see how that would be problematic, but also I think just from, you know, a business logistical perspective, if they explicitly said, like, oh, yeah, we accept, like, um, we accept all women, like, transgender women, like, cisgender women, like, obviously, like, that's fine and great, but then you, and then when you open up and say, oh, like, we also accept those who, um, do not, say, identify on the gender binary, and then, it sort of gets spun into this whole you we accept everyone except men and that's kind of very hard to market so i understand why they like try to just make about women because i know this is a problem i think that society has is that um we do have this notion and it's just been ingrained forever that male versus female and so we just you know sort of resort to one or the other when we're trying to make a um make some sort of new business or make a slogan or something just because it's easier and more convenient instead of adding all these other terms. Well, I mean, if that's any, if that's part of the reason for doing that, then that's just lazy, honestly, in my personal opinion. If you, if a company comes out and says like, or not, if a company is is trying to have this kind of mission and then makes it like, doesn't bother to try to be more inclusive um to like more people and more genders than because because i think that like the concept that they're already working with is like no men allowed like that's the whole thing but they're just working specifically on a gender binary um while they're doing that where they don't 
like they don't have to do that. And yes, it would be harder um, and more complicated. And uh, um, you would have to be a lot more careful about language and message and the way that you do things. But then you would have like a more interesting, inclusive space with more kinds of people and different work being done. And since that seems to be like the point of the company is to have like a really cool environment with lots of different um people but at the same time being a safe and comfortable place to work then i think that they are ultimately not doing as well as they could be doing Mm -hmm. no yeah you've that that makes sense um and you've made like sorry um you've made obviously like very good points i think it's just like i'm trying to figure out how to word this i think that if their original mission was to create sort of this um, this all-inclusive space, I do think, I honestly do think that, like, half the reason why they wouldn't do that is because marketing would just be very difficult and, like, getting getting money from people would be insanely difficult. Um, and that's just, like, a systemic thing. Like, sometimes if you have, like, a bunch of people in power and who are going to lend you money and you say, oh, well, this is just for, like, not men and we're going to be all-inclusive and stuff, that's definitely less, you know... Um, say maybe, I don't know, maybe like less appealing, I guess, to maybe those who are lending them the money in the first place, just because people are old fashioned and conservative and things like that. So I understand why they might be doing that. But again, I'm not saying that it's justified or I mean that it's okay. Yeah, it's big and messy and complicated. And I guess my, I, I, to sum up how I feel about this concept um in this company again like i i i mean we did go looking for like more articles about this but we didn't find much more beyond the big new york times profile on their own website um but based off what i read in those i think that this is a really interesting concept but it perhaps doesn't do enough and if it's really trying to if this company is like really trying to Um, create change and create these like safe inclusive spaces that it's catering to yes people who have like faced a lot of issues in the workplace but who still are coming from positions of more uh, privilege and more advantage than others that they're not um, reaching Mm -hmm. yeah definitely also i'm not gonna say this on the podcast because like i don't have a cohesive way to say this it sounds so dumb but oh my god this is so much the like Pinterest suburban young professional like get your hustle like grind all day we got this women rock boys drool like (laughs) and I can't cohesively explain what I mean by that but do you know what I mean (laughs) yes I know exactly what you mean and so you don't like that and it just gets on my nerves (laughs) no yeah I that also annoys me too yeah the whole like oh we're super feminist and awesome but we're not mean either we're like aesthetic and cool like just pick one um on last week's episode we talked a little bit about adoption um but we talked about it more in a general psychological how to raise or how to tell your kid that they're adopted sort of sense but now we have um some actually news that we just want to touch on so very recently uh, on tuesday ethiopia banned foreign countries from adopting um children from Ethiopia. And this is huge because a lot of international adoptions do come from places like Ethiopia, China, and all of these, um, you know, typically 
these places where many families are very low income. Um, And it's just also interesting because this is where this is the country where Brad Jelena adopted one of their um, kids. Yes, of course. Um, according to the article, the about 20% of U.S. international adoptions come from Ethiopia. So this would be, this is a really big um, cutoff. But yeah, they're, they, this has been a source of controversy for years. I mean, I think especially out of Ethiopia um, in terms of like, is this an ethical practice? Are there, is it like culturally ethical? Um, and we're going to come back to that and ask the idea that um, there are, there is child trafficking. I mean, there's unfortunately child trafficking everywhere. Um, but the, this concept that like it could be connected to um, these foreign adoptions that are coming out of Ethiopia. Yeah, actually, Denmark um, was one of the con- Denmark actually banned adoptions from Ethiopia because of this child trafficking problem. So it's very relevant, but still, of course, very unfortunate. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the child trafficking argument is controversial in a lot of ways, but we're not going to get too far into that. I uh, just wanted to note on it. But um, yeah, in, in 2013, a U.S. couple was convicted of uh, killing a girl that they had adopted from Ethiopia. Well, they were convicted of manslaughter because they were starving and beating their child. Um but I guess it's technically still manslaughter because they didn't mean to kill her. But that's horrible. Yeah. And also, wait, sorry, just quick rant. Their lawyers were like, I don't think that they should be, you know, condemned to life or whatever. Yes, they're bad parents, but that doesn't mean they like deserve to be in prison. I'm like, yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it totally does. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think the the mother ended up being convicted of um, a homicide by abuse and manslaughter and the husband was convicted of manslaughter. So there you go. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. after that happened, like, of course, this created a lot of conversation and uh, arguments about should international adoption be allowed um, because there are so many complications with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So brief, um, brief background on the topic. So I think it was in 2007, there was this thing called the, the Hague, Con- Hague Convention, H-A-G-U-E. Um, and basically, it set some sort of guideline or rule book for international adoptions because it was not very centralized or regulated and so a lot of human trafficking was going on like more so than even now i mean obviously it still happens but um basically this was trying to create a much more centralized system so that these children who were adopted internationally could be brought to their new countries um in the most safe efficient way possible There is controversy when it comes, though, to international adoptions, especially from, I think, in particular, just the United States, not necessarily because we're targeting the United States for everything, but just because a lot of international adoptions um, are from families in the United States, is this argument that why are you adopting from outside of American borders when there are so many children within your own country that need homes? And so then there's this idea of this, like, saving sort of you're saving an international child hero um afterglow i guess from adopting a child internationally and i think one research paper actually called it like the bradgelina effect and said that or tried to prove that international adoptions actually increased exponentially after um the whole story with bradgelina and how they started to adopt all of these kids um of course the study wasn't that conclusive because it's kind of impossible to you know, say that, oh, yeah, because Bradgelina adopted this kid, it is definitely possible, it is definitely the truth that uh, everyone adopted kids. So, um, so 
obviously there were some problems with that study, but it's just like a really interesting topic that does raise a lot of ethical concerns. Mm -hmm. And this is, of course, especially a huge problem out of countries like Ethiopia and other African countries, because there is, first of all, this whole image that um, people in the United States, especially, I think, have of that, like, Africa is, like, entirely made up of third world countries and, like, everyone is starving and poor and that, like, by adopting this child, aren't I such a good person that I've taken care of this African child? Aren't I so cool? That's a very simplified version, but, and I don't think that anyone who goes is like explicitly thinking like, oh, everyone's going to think I'm a great person for adopting an African child. I don't know, maybe, but um, maybe one person, but there is definitely this like in influence um, in, in that, like, it seems like you're a greater philanthropist or, or something like that by choosing to ad- adopt a child out of Africa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually my thesis I'm talking about race especially when it comes to adoption and there are actual instances where these research studies um the sociologists went to all of these adoption agencies and talked to these people who like facilitate these international adoptions um and they say that like couples literally come in and say we want to adopt a child from you know haiti or ethiopia but they don't want to adopt um a child, like a black child from within the United States because of this whole like concept that they're doing something great and like it's like the trendy hip thing to do, which is obviously so messed up in so many ways. A lot, a lot of ways. And I mean, that is like centuries of societal and and cultural issues that can't be deconstructed in like one conversation about adoption. Um, But it is interesting that like at this point we've hit um, with the Ethiopia that they've said like no um, there will be no more international adoptions out of this country like um, these children should be cared for locally um, and kept within the um, the the culture and the systems that uh, understand them and can care for them and I mean whether or not they are getting proper care is like a whole other question because I mean orphanages are a big problem all over the world in often mistreating children and like being overfilled and lots and lots of things hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think it also just brings up other ethical concerns when even with like cultural class clashes and race. Um, so the typical demographic for those who adopt, whether it's internationally or within the United States, is um, middle class, upper middle class, white families. Um, and actually, even within the United States, from the American foster care system, white families were adopting back in the 1970s a lot of um, black children. And in the 1970s, there was this huge movement saying that this was cultural genocide because um, you were taking these black children who, yes, they needed homes, but you were placing them with white families and then they weren't able to grow up or to understand their own culture um, and things like that. And so it was like another example of um, white the white man taking over and things like that. Um, and so there were less African-American adoptions after after that thing happened in the 70s. But I think it also just brings up another question, like, is does how much does race matter and how much should race matter when it comes to adoption? Or should it be, you know, like, as long as you're putting the child in a safe, loving home, that's the end all be all kind of thing. So, again, like, that's not a question that we can answer in a, one conversation, but it's definitely interesting. Oh, absolutely. And this this could just go on forever because i mean on one side you have like well um there are cultural differences and like societal baggage and there 
and like you shouldn't want to adopt a child in order to like feel better about yourself for your choices but at the same time it's not like it's not like white people aren't allowed to adopt black children like this is like because then it, it, the whole argument gets turned around and it's like well isn't it racist to say that that like that's the bad thing to do and like why does race matter at all and then you it becomes a very circular thing back and forth um but and but this is also a question that happens like in biracial families where like um there's one uh white parent who's raising a half black child um especially I, I know that there are some cases where like there's a biracial family and uh the parent of color dies um or is separated somehow and then there's like a white parent mm -hmm. who's raising of uh, children of a different race um and there can be like issues of like how do you talk to your kids about like a different experience that says that they will have that you didn't have um and that can be a problem in like many different types of families and manifest in a lot of ways and that is and the whole thing is like absolutely possible and like these mixing of cultures and families can be amazing and productive and like as long as you are a parent who loves their child then like of course that you are going to do whatever you can for that child and that's amazing but there are extra challenges that happen um and that's just something that people have to go in with their eyes open like international adoptions transracial adoptions like and i think that pe as long as people are aware and prepared for that then they can um uh, tackle those issues Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And also just a quick note, um, biracial adoption is actually a huge controversy within the um, within the adoption literature, just because um, adoption agencies, when you like go to them and you say, oh, like, I want to adopt a child like from this place or whatever. Um, a lot of people say, oh, I don't want to adopt a black child, but I'll adopt a biracial child. And it's just like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> like, no, I'm I'm serious. Like, it's it's insane because you have these that's why I'm writing my thesis on it. it's about like racial preferences and like consumer preferences um and I mean obviously that's just like a huge systemic problem but it really does come to light when in these interviews with adoption agents and the adoption agents like yes it's a problem too and like they want to say something about it but it's also like okay well we'll give them a they have to sort of just be like okay we'll give you a biracial child because it's like well i don't want to say no and then have them be all mad and then not adopt period right so it's just like this really weird complicated awful situation so last weekend we had a very interesting award show um it was the golden globes i actually watched it which is i haven't watched an award show besides the tonys for years um but that was fun and it was very interesting because it was sort of the debut event for times up which is uh this new organization that's been uh created by a group of hollywood actresses um but also activists and lawyers um and people of uh different careers and so and as you can probably guess, the whole purpose of Time's Up is to tackle sexual assault and sexual harassment um, across industries, uh, I think focusing on the United States for now. Um, and so it will, but since this has been organized sort of outside, out through Hollywood, uh, it they had this debut event, they had everyone wear black and so almost every woman came wearing a black dress um and um the men had pen they were wearing black suits and they had pins that said time's up um and then a lot of people like in their acceptance speeches and stuff like that uh spoke about 
it referenced it um, and talks about like gender inequality in the industry. Oh, and as well, I, there were seven actresses, and I forget exactly who, but um, who brought activists as their dates. Um, and so there were uh, seven activists who were uh, there at the Golden Globes as well, including Tarana Burke, who was the original uh, founder of the hashtag MeToo movement 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think Meryl Streep also brought someone, um, brought an activist. Um, but again, there's a lot of controversy with Meryl Streep since the whole Harvey Weinstein incident. But yes. Yeah, which I mean, Meryl Streep got more flack for than half the men who discussed like actually covering for him. But you know, it's fine. <laughs> it's not fine. So let's just dive into the ceremony itself. Uh, it was hosted by Seth Meyers, which was, let's be frank, uh, maybe not the right choice <laughs> because the whole point is it was like oh like this is a, an award show that's like focused on this issue and times up and like the post Harvey Weinstein era and so like why did you choose the straight cis white man like you didn't have to do that he's great though I mean he's fine like I have nothing against Seth Meyers um, and he also he does this um interesting segment called jokes I can't tell where he sets up a joke that's about like sexism, racism, homophobia, stuff like that. And then the punchline is delivered by someone on his writing staff who like is like a black woman and is allowed to tell that joke. And that's the bit. Um, and it's actually kind of brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he actually did that in the Golden Glows, but had like um, other celebrities share the punchlines and stuff, which mm-hmm. I which I thought was a nice touch. But um, it's still like they kind of also it's not just the fact that they chose Seth Meyers um because you know whatever um but it's the fact that they like actively talked about how he was you know like a host that wouldn't be afraid to tackle these issues and all this stuff and i was like or you could have picked a woman like you could have done that Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i understand like that argument but i also do i think sort of see the other way where like choosing seth meyers to do it a white cisgender male is trying to put trying to make it more like oh, we have someone who does, you know, doesn't face these problems, but is aware of them. And we want to make that message more clear to those who are white, cisgender, and who don't um, experience these from day to day. Maybe seeing someone who is um, white, male, cisgender express these, um, express these topics on TV, maybe that will sort of also create some sort of positive change. That is an interesting point. Um, And hopefully that like one way or another that did um reach some people Mm -hmm. hopefully so in terms of the actual winners of the night um i don't think there were a lot of huge surprises (laughs) the one thing um so in the best directors category um there were no female nominees which was pretty controversial one because there's only been one female winner of a golden globe uh for best directing ever Uh, it was barbara streisand who actually presented um one of the winners that night and talked about the fact that she was the only winner ever and she was like that was like 30 years ago what the hell are you doing um but anyway but this was especially controversial this year not only because this was a whole issue going on but because um the director of ladybird greta gerwin was not nominated which was pretty ridiculous considering that um the lead actress of ladybird won best actress and ladybird ended up winning best picture in the comedy or musical category so how does the woman who directed a movie to best movie and to best the, her star to best actress not even merit a nomination for best director Hmm. 
Yep, so that was kind of like a slap in the face. Yeah, and when they were announcing the nominees for Best Director, Natalie Portman went, and here are the all-male nominees, and everyone was like, whoa! Yikes, brutal. It was kind of awesome. But yeah, and I mean, not to take away from the guy who won, um, because Del Toro won, and he seems like a great guy, and he's super interesting, and he won for The Shape of Water, which I haven't seen yet, but it's supposed to be, like, a beautiful film. And so, not to take away from, like, his achievements, but it is pretty ridiculous that Greta Gerwin was not even nominated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, it, not great. Not great, guys. I don't think there were a lot of big surprises in terms of winners that night. It was, um, well, Get Out and Call Me By Your Name were both shut out of the awards. They were both nominated for several things but didn't win anything, which I think the it's not that um, anyone thought that the movies that were winning weren't good. Um, I haven't seen any of these movies except for Lady Bird, so I can't personally say anything on this. Um, but it was noted that especially that Get Out didn't win anything but um, has been regarded as such like a widely... Uh, loved and also important film so I mean award shows aren't everything but it is interesting that they did not uh, take home any of the Globes it'll be it will be especially interesting to see what happens at the Oscars because the Golden Globes and the Oscars do not uh, match up exactly there will be some crossover but there'll probably be a lot that's different so we'll see what the Academy Awards think Mm -hmm. yeah they're different in that isn't the voting process slightly different for those who win I actually don't know how the voting process works. I will look into that, but interesting, yeah. Also in the television category, unsurprisingly, The Handmaid's Tale, Big Little Lies, um, both took home a bunch of awards. The Handmaid's Tale won Best Drama, um, which is pretty cool as a new show kind of taking its place uh, in firmly in the award season. And The Marvelous, Mrs. Maisel, or Maisel, or however you say it, um, also had a couple big awards, so that's pretty cool. I haven't seen that show yet, but I do want to, because I've heard lovely things about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and people were, though, upset about uh, Game of Thrones not winning anything, but it's fine. Whatever. <laughs> Although Game of Thrones is a great show. <laughs> I have never seen it, so I don't have any feelings one way or another. Oh my god, it's so good. One of the big things that happened was that... Um, Oprah Winfrey accepted a Lifetime Achievement Award, and it was just, the whole thing was awesome because um, Reese Witherspoon got up there, and because they've worked together recently, and so she talked about Oprah, and then she was um, narrating this video that, like, compiled uh, some of Oprah's incredible work over the course of her career, and I mean, like, it is probably impossible to overstate how important Oprah has been for culture and for especially like women and black women and culture and like the incredible span of her career and so she got up there and accepted this award and she gave this beautiful speech that um, talked about a lot of things including of course the Me Too movement um, and this reclaiming and times up for the people who um, are harassing and assaulting people and kicking them out of the industry and so that was a big thing. She got a standing ovation. I was clapping for her on my couch. But then, <laughs> people are ridiculous. So, a lot of people started going on about Oprah 2020, which is what everyone always does whenever someone makes a half-decent speech. Um, <laughs> so everyone is like, Oprah should be president. But then, I don't know which happened first. Either some people started seriously talking about the Oprah should be president, or people on the other side took these comments too seriously and started seriously countering them and then it became this whole 
back and forth mess of like this huge debate over whether or not Oprah should be president and it was like well Oprah's not even that great anyway and actually Oprah sucks and like or or like Oprah is the savior of us all and she will be the best president we've ever had and like she's not running everybody she's not running (laughs) yeah this is I don't know when celebrities do this or well when celebrities are talked about it like this it's just like reminds me of you know like Kanye West right and every uh, every other woman Every other person who was like, yep, Kanye West, 2020, or whatever. And maybe Oprah will turn around tomorrow and say she does have plans to run in 2020, in which case this becomes a totally different conversation. But at this point, it's just ridiculous. Like, this, she gave a speech at an award show. She didn't ask for this. You are, Everyone is making this a thing when it doesn't have to be. And I mean, it does lead to actual conversations about, like, cultural power versus political power and, like, where can we actually exact the most change and what does it mean to have this, like, age where we think all celebrities can be president and blah, blah, blah. But, like, the actual question of whether Oprah is good... would be a good president or not is like pretty moot since she's not running (laughs) yeah it's just i don't know i think it's just like a fatal flaw of the human condition where people put a lot of energy or effort into caring about things that are not going to happen slash are irrelevant and then focus very little on the actual problems that we have you just summed up everything yep pretty much Speaking of actual problems that we have, though, shout out to the upcoming 2018 elections that are happening this year. I'm sure we'll be talking about that more the upcoming months. But um, yeah, that's important to think about while you're arguing about who should be president in 2020. Remember that there are very, very important elections happening this year. Woo! Yay! Register to vote. And that's going to be all from us today. Thank you for listening. You can find us online um, at relay.fm slash mixedfeelings, where there's a contact form if you want to send us an email. You can also find us on Twitter at mixedfeelingsfm. You can find me on Twitter at aspiringrobotfm. And you can find me on Twitter at underscore Jillian Parker. Thanks for talking with me today, Quinn. Thank you for talking with me. <laughs> Always a pleasure. I'm Jillian Parker. I'm Quinn Rose. And these were our mixed feelings. <laughs>